corniness that we see is like too serious. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's not it's it's not just like oh hey this person's sexy. It's like oh they're sexy. And I don't know if that has a meaningful difference on audio, but it I, it means something different in my heart, and that's the most important <laughs> thing. Great, thanks. Thanks for the opening clip to the show. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a polar bear's head. And this week, we duel our six brothers for the throne with Stardust. Before we cross the wall, remember you can help us on Mortified the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Aaron. What do you know about Neil I know he's got a Tumblr. Yeah, that's kind of all I know about him. Uh, Coraline. He did Coraline. Oh, Good Omens with Terry Pratchett. Good Omens. Um, American Gods, American right? Gods, uh, Sandman. Sandman. Yeah! yeah! Neil Gaiman, our, our friend and yours. Uh, we know we... This is actually probably my first Neil Gaiman, like, ever engaging with any of his works. Uh, like all the way through i don't think i've i've wa- seen any of those except um in little gift sets on tumblr Wait, as you said no never oh. seen Coraline. too scary oh, it is quite sp- it is actually quite <laughs> quite scary like, incredibly terrifying like famously the story for Coraline is that like his his editor was like oh yeah no um I, this book is way too scary but uh I'll, let me read it to my daughter and if she if she thinks it's too scary, then we won't publish it. And the daughter reads it, and she's like, oh, no, I loved it. And then years later, she's like, no, I shit myself. That was t- fucking terrifying, but I didn't want you. I, but I didn't want to seem, like, not not afraid. So I, I wanted to seem cool in front of my mom. So I just lied, and that's how Coraline got published. Yeah. So shout-outs to that kid. Oh, yeah, Coraline's spooky. I, ha- I have engaged um, with Good Omens. I quite like Good Omens, uh, the show. I've heard, Our, heard My friend stuff. and yours, Michael Sheen, is in it. Uh Oh, of Twilight. Of twi- fame. Yeah, of Twilight fame. That's the only thing other hit go to Good Omens and Twilight. Those are the only things he's. Yeah, been, absolutely. Yeah. This is the only part of his career that matters. Um, so Layla, can you tell me a little bit about why? Uh, you know, we're doing kind of a romance theme uh, this February. What kind of drew you to Stardust? Because I have very few memories. I watched like the first ten minutes of this on a plane in t- two thousand and seven, and that's kind of it. But what what was uh what's your deal this with this? This was one of those movies um, that I found watching on the couch on the TV when I had access to channels. If you remember channels, mm, I remember those a long time ago. Yeah, my mom had just you know until we had a ton of them growing up for some reason, and uh, I remember I like I found this on uh like one of the movie channels. And I watched it, and I just thought it was the most charming, like, wild thing. And it had everything. It had Robert De Niro cross-dressing. It had Michelle Pfeiffer's cheekbones. It had kind of cheesy special effects. Uh, like, a very earnest love story. Um, the whole thing is very 07. Um, but I loved it. I- I've-, I've loved it. Uh, that and uh, of the same era... 
There's a movie called Penelope with Christina Ricci. Uh, those are like my two favorite mid-aughts uh, romance films, and I go back to them quite frequently. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, you know, in the, I guess, 16 years since this film's come out, uh, you feel like it aged well? I think it aged appropriately for having been... In, like, I didn't watch it, and I didn't, like, cringe at any point. You know, there mm-hmm. were moments where I was like, all right, well... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it aged okay, you know? Yeah. It was, it's fine. I, I think it was a completely charming. It is, you know, honestly, a lot better, you know, as far as its, you know, representations and jokes than a lot of the, um, you know, media of the that era. Uh, it did notably have Ricky Gervais in it, <laughs> um, which is very funny to think of, um, considering he's a... Um, you know, now a famous shithead. Uh, but like, yeah, you know, I, I think this was a completely enjoyable movie and like you kind of gets at what it's going for. Um, so this is a, based off a Neil Gaiman book that was written in what, 99 or 97? Uh, 99. And uh, I found this interesting when I was doing a little bit of Wikipedia research, which is that he wanted to create a, a style of like fantasy romance that was pre-Tolkienian. Which is interesting, um, and I feel like does kind of explain some of the weird plot idiosyncrasies um, that that are going on, like Act Two, because I felt like Act Two really rambled. Um, but like, I think that might have been the point. I think it was the point. It felt um, quite Ghibli esque to me. Um, where How I was so? just trying to set a mood for you. It was trying to indulge okay. in some whimsy, um, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of whimsy out of it. Um. Yeah, I, I I quite love this movie. I think it's I think it's quite charming. And um, even though Act Two rambles, I think it rambles in a way where I was like, yeah, I'll buy it. Um, I think my thought watching this, and I'll be curious to read the book. We plan to read the book. Um, unfortunately, we're adults with schedules, and things got in the way. I own the book. I plan on reading it, but um. Uh, I'm curious as to how the book treats that that portion of the the story, uh, because watching it, my one thought was like, ah, now here's a movie I wish was a miniseries. I think it may have been planned for. No, I, I think they were going to release the book as like four separate like portions. Um, but yeah, it does seem like it might have benefited from being broken. Interesting, because it's quite a short book. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. So originally, um, the the origin of this book is that um, Neil Gaiman was like at a party uh, with his that person who illustrated it. Um, hold on, let me find the the link. But the guy who illustrated it is named um, Charles Vess, and apparently he like pulled Charles away from the party. It was like, hey, I have this great idea, Charles, and Charles is like, all right, whatever, Neil. Um, but like originally, they were going to you know illustrate it and. Um, try to, to to get it into like a, a four issue comic miniseries um because this is uh, apparently one of the the things that neil gaiman could do at the time um and or maybe it stardust came out once a month in a square bound high gloss book booklet yeah so so it was originally a four issue mini- comic miniseries very interesting um but yeah I, I obviously it was eventually you know condensed into into one thing but um yeah, I, I guess that kind of makes sense why why the structure is the way it is. Yeah, so I think I would have I would have loved like a four episode miniseries. Um, 
But it is what it is, and, and that's all, all well and good. Uh, before we get into the, the meat, did you recognize Tristan? I had to IMDb it. Um, no. I think I was watching with my wife, though, and she recognized Tristan's dad, I want to oh, say. what's Tristan's dad from? Tr- young Tristan's dad uh, is Ben Barnes from Shadow and Bone. Oh! Oh, wow, I did not clock him. Uh, it was an incredible shot from my partner. Tristan is Daredevil. Oh, shit. Matthew really? Cox, he's Daredevil. Matt Murdock, baby. Huh. Good for, good for, good him. for him. And then uh, the composer for this film, Ilana Shkari, I knew I'd heard his name somewhere. Fun fact, composer for The Sims 4. The Sims Many 4. other things. Hmm. But I did. He's done two video games, and one of them is is The Sims Four. Do you happen to know what the other video yeah, game is? Yeah. So the other one is uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Holy shit! Yeah, he co-composed on that one. <laughs> wow, that's two wildly different games. He also composed um, for the apparently Sean the Sheep movie. Oh hell yeah! Listen, that's a great that's a great career. Really, man, jack of all trades. Yeah, honey, he has the uh, range. master of all. Yeah, seriously. Um, we've talked for a while. We haven't really talked about the plot of this I, before. Alyssa, what I think it's it. fine if we vamp. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, you know, pretty, I will say straightforward, but it's not the longest summary we've ever done. I mean, it's it's pretty breezy. Yeah, it's, it's the story is uncomplicated. Do you want to do sure. it? Sure. So uh, once upon a merry time in the country we know as England, in the village of Wall, um, Bad name. Terrible name, name for a city. Great name. Fuck you. I love Wall. Uh, <laughs> so stupid. A young man sought to cross over the wall surrounding Wall. Uh, he tricked the gatekeeper and entered a magical land of fairies, where he was immediately hit upon and then bed by Una, an enslaved princess in the service of a witch. They hooked up, and nine months later, Tristan Thorne was born and left for his papa at the wall, who took just very well to the concept of suddenly being a father. Like, listen, the the gatekeeper shows up with a human child, uh, and it's like, hey, this one is for you. And he's just like, oh, sick, a baby. <laughs> Takes it, does not ask any questions. It's just like, all right, cool, I'm a dad now. That rules. He used to be a pretty good <laughs> dad. Honestly, incredible. Well done. That's parenthood. That's that's a good that's a good dad right there. Uh, Eighteen years later, that baby in the basket turns into Matt Murdock. Uh, he is now eighteen, and uh, he's a shopkeeper, a shop boy at a local shop. Shop boy specifically, uh, yeah. and he's in love with the beauty of the village, Victoria, a rude bitch who's gonna marry Henry Cavill. <laughs> I hate Victoria so much. She is a caricature, and it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, obviously, right, like, you know, she's intentionally meant to be, like, op- clearly taking advantage of him. Like, she, like, cuts in front of li- at the line at the shop, and she's like, oh, hey, Tristan, kind of f- 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 flounces her hair, and then it's like, hey, will you um, get me all of these things? It's like a huge laundry list, and he's like, and she, she's like, oh, and... You could walk me home if you want. And she, he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then it cuts to him practicing in the mirror how he tell how he's going to tell his uh, father that he lost his job. She's like, oh, Tristan, you dumb idiot. Oh, he's so whipped. It's so sad. 
It's bad. It's uh, bad. So uh, he ends up, you know, his father, again, very supportive, is just like, go get her, Tiger. Don't worry about blonde Henry Cavill with a pencil mustache. It's going to be fine. Uh, blonde Henry Cavill is so much. Honestly, he crushes it for the 20 seconds he's in this movie. It's great. Uh, and so Tristan says, uh, you know, he's like, okay, I'll, I'll go get the girl. He spends all of his savings on a champagne picnic, uh, during which they see the falling of a star. And Tristan, uh, who was at the, one of the funnier pieces of dialogue is Victoria sitting there going, well, Humphrey, Henry Cavill, is going all the way to Ipswich to get me a wedding ring. And Tristan's like, Ipswich, which is like a neighboring village, he's like, I would go to London, Paris, Africa, like whatever. And I'm like, boy, calm down, but it's fine. Um, he decides instead that he will go fetch this falling star for uh, for his love, Victoria. And if he returns in a week on her birthday with the fallen star, she will marry him instead. Uh, Aaron, did, see, did your wife make you uh, go get a falling star for her? Um, I'm trying to think, um, it was definitely brought up. I think we decided against it and instead did go with the blood diamond, but yeah, um, yeah, it was, you know, listen, marriage, it's hard. You gotta, you gotta do a big, the thing I know, listen, fellas, fell, listen, our, our audience of like three fellas. It is three uh, now, which is more than the 10 that it was. Hello, 30 fellas. Uh, hey, hey, 30 boys, um, women love grand gestures. Uh, if you're trying to show, uh, uh, a lady how you feel about, how, about her, um, a big grand gesture with no lead up, um, and you, you, you don't even really have to have talked to her before, and she doesn't really need to like you, but if you, like, see somebody that you're attracted to, uh, you should just do a big, large, grand gesture for her, and then she has to fall in love with you. Be- and that's just that's just science. That's just Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate have been telling me a lot about how to seduce women. Uh, and you can take it from me, a married man. Th- these this this is the advice that will get you the girl. It's true. I'm genetically programmed <laughs> to like blood diamonds, uh, especially mm-hmm. when they're a surprise. Mm-hmm. surprises also people love surprises yeah i would love a man i never met to surprise me with a diamond and i'm only kind of half kidding because i would pawn it and it would help me but anyway uh meanwhile the king of stormhold uh which is this fairy realm on the other side of the wall he's dying and he's uh gathered his sons primus tertius and septimus um and, and um, Secundus. Secundus, yes. Uh, and to determine who will rule the kingdom when he dies, he throws his uh, necklace into the air and it knocks a star out of the sky. Uh, and he says, whoever will return the ruby, uh, that will be the true king of Stormhold. Um, um, I glossed over the summary, the actual specifics of that, because Secundus um, is immediately pushed out of a window, which is really good. That's a really good way to set the tone for, like, the kind of characters you're dealing with. They're just like, the king's like, hey, why are why are all my sons still alive? Like, I have, like, three sons still alive. That's, That's stupid. That's too many sons. Y'all are pussies. Yeah, y'all sh- I, by the time I was your age, I killed all 11 of my brothers. 
anyway, uh, and then, like, immediately one of them gets pushed off, and then the, the remaining two have a good laugh with their father in the room. Um, just really, really characterizes the the king of Stormhold and his, his uh, offspring as a bunch of huge assholes, which is very fun. Yeah, uh, and also... <laughs> Uh, an important thing is that the, the ghosts of all the brothers are all stuck with each other until a new king is crowned. So there's just these, like, five men who are stuck, burnt, blown over, flattened, just chilling. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts of this, uh, of this flick. So... It's really good. In order to go get the star, Tristan has to cross the wall. But the gatekeeper, 18 years older, but apparently still just as fucking fit, has been working out and absolutely beats the shit out of him. He does a backflip over the wall and everything. It's incredible. Uh, it's it's so bad that, he, that Tristan has to go back to his dad and, like, get, like, iced. It's really... His dad's like, that man's, like, 98 years old. What the hell happened to you? <laughs> He's like, well, he's been training, Dad, okay? Yeah, and also I looked up that actor. Uh, he passed in 2012, so he was, this was like one of the last things that he did. And uh, he was one of the most charming parts of the film. I really love his, his yeah. funny little top hat. <laughs> and the way at the end, he's just like, fuck it, I hate this. Uh, that would be David Kelly. Uh, shout outs to you, Mr. Yeah, Kelly. David Kelly, uh, co- like long, long career. Really, really, really charming job in this film. This is one of those movies that just has a bunch of really, 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 really famous British people in it. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, David Tennant, where the fuck were you? Eh? I could have uh, used the David Tennant. I don't, he, he hadn't been the doctor no. yet at this point. Anyway, I love David Tennant. Uh... So as he's sitting there, uh, you know, nursing his wounds, uh, Tristan's dad is like, what the fuck are you going doing going over the wall? And he turns it back around on him. And he's like, I could ask you the same shit. And that's when Tristan's dad pulls out the stuff that came in the basket with Tristan, his little baby bonuses. Uh, and he's like, hey, here's a letter. I haven't read it. You should, you know, it's from your mother to you. And uh, again, like dad points, he didn't read it. You know, he wasn't trying to hide it. He was just waiting till his son was like old enough. Um, and in that letter was a candle, and basically the candle's magic is you think of the place you want to go, and the candle will teleport you there. It's called a Babylon candle. There's a lovely letter and a flower, uh, that uh, is a flower, a token of luck from, from his mother that his father had before him. So, uh, because Tristan is... A little stupid and very horny in a 2007 kind of way, he lights the candle, and he starts out thinking about his mom, and then he suddenly starts thinking about Victoria and the stars, so where does he end up? On top of Evane. And who is Evane? Evane's the star. Surprise! Uh, it's a good it's time. It's a good time, yeah, the star's a person. Uh, so, uh, Yvonne rightfully points out that maybe bringing an injured, kidnapped woman as a gift to your beloved <laughs> is, like, not the fucking move, but our lover boy won't be swayed. He wraps the chain around her, and he says, you're fucking coming with me, and she says, fine. And the deal is that once he takes her to Victoria, he'll give her the Babylon candle so she can go home. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> more characters. <laughs> we get the three witches led by... None other than Michelle fucking Pfeiffer. What is she doing in this movie? I don't know. Do I love that she's there? The most is what oh, she's doing. She is in it to win it. Uh, what's that movie everybody really... Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus who? 
Right. No, this is this is exactly that, but with Michelle. Yeah, Pfeiffer. she was great. Uh, when she's you know her own age and not being made up to mm-hmm. be a crone. Um, so they want the star because if they eat the heart of the star, they will live forever and have youth and beauty and better magic. So Michelle Pfeiffer, being the eldest, uh, is like, ladies, I'm going to use up the last of the star that we had, and I'm going to go track her down. So she gets to youth youthen up, she gets to moisten up, and go track down Tristan and Evane. Um... Now, if you'll recall, Tristan has kidnapped Evain, so they're not, like, thrilled with each other. And while he's uh, searching for food in the forest, a unicorn appears and helps Evain escape bondage. Um, I thought this ruled. This is an interesting narrative conceit. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that mystery... I think this is a thing that just straight up happens in the book. Oh, I think, based on the summary I read... It seemed like this movie kept like kind of close to a lot of the stuff that happens in the book, except for the stuff with Robert De Niro. But don't worry about that. We'll get there. Um, but like, yeah, I'm just wondering, like as a plot thing, it seems like a weird thing to do, which is like, and then a unicorn shows up and the unicorn helps her escape. Um And like, if this was a different kind of movie, I think I would be more annoyed, but like, this movie, this, this this film is telling a story that is, like, very much, like, and then a bunch of weird shit happened. They met a bunch of weirdos, uh, and then they had little hijinks. And, like, it, it is is very much, like, uh, I don't want to say Monster of the Week, but, like, very much, like, formulaic, like, and then this happened, and then this happened. And, like, uh, we'll occasionally cut back to the bad guys, but, like, the bad guys don't really affect the plot until the very end. Um, it's mostly about, um, I guess there's, there's like, one place where Yvain's in danger coming up, but, like... For the most part, you know, you don't get a whole lot of setup and payoff, except for, like, you know that the bad guys are out there hunting down Yvain. And, um, you know, I think for the kind of story it's going for, it's fine. Uh, I I think I'd be more critical if this movie was, like, in any way trying to be more serious. But it's not. Um, So I I think it's it's a completely fine and weird plot point. Yeah, uh, I love a movie that says yes and. (laughs) it's like yes and the star is a girl and yes and then and then and uh then there's a unicorn and then they get on a pirate ship like it's so much uh and i love it i love maximalist Mm -hmm. fantasy it's it's oh it's very fun it's Uh, great so uh now freed of bondage uh yvaine is like fuck this and fuck tristan and fuck victoria i'm going home and so she goes and she finds this tavern uh, and, you know, the, the lovely mistress of the tavern offers her a warm bed and food and a bath. And she starts glowing because she's a star and she's so happy. And then she gets offered a massage. And what she doesn't know is that the lady of the inn is <gasps> Michelle Pfeiffer. And she's there with a knife and she's going to cut her fucking heart out. But who stumbles in? If you thought Tristan, you're wrong. Fucking Primus. <laughs> Do shit Primus. <laughs> It's great. Stumbles into this inn, run by, by the way, not just Michelle Pfeiffer, but a boy she kidnapped and turned into a goat, and then turned back into a boy, and then turned into a girl. Trans is his gender. <laughs> no questions asked. Well, here's the thing, right? The, the one, one of these people was always a human, so the, the, Renard, the, the yeah. woman who gets transed... Uh, was always a human. The other person was a goat that got human. Uh-huh. Uh, so, <laughs> played by the guy who plays uh, a, uh, da- Mr. Weasley in the Harry oh! Potter films, uh, apparently. It is literally every um, British so- actor in this film. 
Yeah, truly. And he's just like, I'm, st- he, he's just like, I'm a goat. I'm, I'm a goat in a monkey body and I'm going to do goat shit. And he's just like, e- he's like eating shit constantly, like eating like clothes and stuff. And she, Michelle Pfeiffer has to like snap at him like, hey, knock that shit off. It's really good. It's really, really good. At one point he like, uh, when she tells him to come here instead of going around the bar, he like hops on the bar like a goat. Yes. It's, the physicality is incredible. Uh, so, uh, you know. At this point, uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer offers Primus some poison wine, and he says, no, I shan't drink any wine until my brother is dead, because he did just see one of his other brothers poisoned. Um, so, you know, gotta be careful. Um, but unfortunately, he's too annoying, so Michelle Pfeiffer slits his fucking throat, and uh, his naked-ass ghost joins the lineup of <laughs> his brothers. Yeah, I like that his, go- his ghost is just butt-ass nude. <laughs> butt-ass nude and his throat slit. <laughs> Yeah, and all his brothers are like looking at his dick, like, huh? Well, well, well. So that leaves Septimus as the final brother, right? He's the last one. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so uh, Tristan now gets offered the poison wine, but who swoops in the fucking unicorn? Unicorn says, "Don't drink that shit." Knocks there we go. Knocks the wine out of his hand. He sees the wine smoking. He's like, "Oh shit!" And he goes in. He saves the I keep wanting to call her Yvette. He saves Yvette. And, uh, uh, the, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's there. And she uses up all her magic and everything. is green flame. She's going to kill them. And he tells Yvette, hold me and think of home. And so she thinks of home. Stupid. He's so fucking the stupid. Sky, and he thinks of home. Wall. And they light the candle. And they end up in the clouds. It's really good. That's a really fun, like, little thing, which is, like, where would he think home is? Where would she think home is? What's the average of the two in the middle of a thunderstorm? That's great. That's fun. And then they get swooped up by lightning pirates. Led by Robert De Niro for some reason. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to get two American actors on the mid-aughts, get Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like if what is Robert De Niro doing, Layla? What is he doing? <laughs> Vibing, I think. Cause, cause I think the thing that I associate him most with is like mobster movies, right? Um, like that's this kind is of as the close the as big you could get one. to a mobster role in these kinds of movies. Right, but like you know, he was in Goodfellas, right? He was in like um, the Untouchables, right? He was in The Godfather Part Two. Um, and then, like, the most recent thing that I remember him being in is from a Mabim Bam bit. It's, uh, The War with Grandpa. Um, what's Robbie doing? (laughs) I think once you make enough money, you have two options. You either become insufferable or you have the most fun you've ever had in your career. And I do think he's taking option B. Yeah, I mean, like, clearly he's just like, I don't give a shit. I've been in so many goddamn movies at this point, I could do whatever I want. I'll be in Stardust. I'll be in Machete. I'll be in... He was also in Dirty Grandpa, which is incredible. Listen, Um, take the Mark Hamill off. Mark Hamill made his fucking fortune off of Star Wars. And guess what, baby boy? Now he's doing a bunch of fucking animation voices. And he's, like, famous for doing the Joker voice for, for one of the Batman series. Like, he's crushing right. it. That's what I would do. Hey, companies, hear me out. Pay me a billion fucking dollars over the course of the next ten years so I can just fuck off in my 40s. <laughs> Honestly, truly. If we could just, like, one-hit wonder something, that would be great. I know. It's, uh... I my I would love to just, like, fuck off and, and do a bunch of shit that underpays but it's, like, passion projects. I think that'd be great. 
anyway, so they're captured by these lightning pirates. They're, the whole, their whole thing is that the pirates think that they're lightning marshals and are uh, trying to hunt them down. They're like taxmen for lightning, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, Robert De Niro, who calls himself Captain Shakespeare, uh, he interrogates uh, Tristan and Yvain and then appears to throw Tristan out the fucking window. But uh, mm-hmm. oh, once he takes Yvain to his cabin under the, the ruse of treating her like some common wench... Uh, this is where the, uh, this is where the age of the movie comes in. Yes. Yes, I didn't like this bit, but I was like, this is, you know, mm, it was, It's 2007. It's quite, there's a, there's also a plot contrivance that we'll get to that's gendered in a very stupid way. Um, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, so he takes Tristan and Yvain to his, to his quarters, and Tristan's just kind of there in his underwear, and Yvain's like, where'd you get the mannequin? And he's like, it gets them every time. (laughs) That's how you get my reputation without having to spill a drop of blood. Have you ever tried to clean blood out of suede or whatever the fuck he says? <laughs> Incredible. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the reason he spares them is because he hears that Tristan is from England. He's from Wall. So he wants to hear tales of England. Uh, and that's why he calls himself Shakespeare, because he thinks a fancy English wordsmith that his enemies think of Shakespeare, which I thought was cute. Mm-hmm. It is cute. Uh... So yeah, he drops them off uh, at a port. Uh, at, along the way, they encounter Ricky Gervais and uh, a witch. Uh, what's her name? Sal. What's her name? Yeah, it's a Ditchwater, Ditchwater Sal. Sal. But I, I, they don't. They are about to get to Ditchwater Sal. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. They encounter them kind of on the way, and 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 you know. It's fine. They're just trying to sell some lightning. And when they get back on the ship, Tristan's there, all dressed up as like a swashbuckler. And this is, I think, uh, the the part of the movie you were alluding to where it starts meandering because Tristan just gets to like learn how to be a pirate for a while. Yeah, it's just like they have like cool pirate times together. It's it's fun. It's giving um, that the the ship scene in Anastasia where they're just like randomly learning how to dance. Uh, same mm-hmm. vibes. I mean, listen, you have to have a dance scene so that way, like, we know that they're falling in love. Um, like, Yvette, Yvette starts to glow, um, or Yvain starts to glow whenever she dances with Tristan. It's like, ah, that's how you know that it's true love. Yeah, because what do stars do best? Shine. That's right. That's important. That'll come up yeah. later. Yeah. Uh, so, they arrive at port. Uh, or sorry, <laughs> they get dropped off and they're trying to hitch a ride to Wall because uh, Tristan is still very much trying to, I don't know if you remember, deliver Evain to Victoria for her birthday. Uh, and they mm-hmm. encounter Ditchwater Sal uh, again, this time with her caravan, not with uh, not in the office trying to sell lightning. And uh, they're like, hey, can you give us a ride? Now, Ditchwater Sal, Evain notices can't see or hear her and that's because michelle pfeiffer cursed her to never be able to see hear smell touch the star ever 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 so Yvain gets cool safe passage on this caravan while tristan gets turned into a fucking mouse it's really good it's <laughs> shrewd as ass <laughs> literally she likes to somebody in this movie gets shrewd another one gets their gender trans it's great uh, so Yvain is like, hey Tristan, can you give me a sign? Like, can you hear me? And he looks at some cheese, so she decides he can't understand her. And she gives a pretty sweet speech about how much she loves him, and how she's always watched humans be in love, and it made watching Earth tolerable. 
It's nice. Thinking he couldn't hear or understand her. She just wanted to kind of get it off her chest. Um, and then they finally get back to the market where Tristan was conceived. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so welcome home, Tristan, I guess. Uh, and they go stay at an inn because Tristan's all loopy from, from being shrewd. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, when he finally <clears throat> wakes up, he looks at Yvonne and he's like, hey, did you mean all that shit that you said into the caravan? And she says, fuck you! You were supposed to be a mouse. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, but if I, I let you know that I knew what you were saying, then you wouldn't have said all that cute shit. So, I mean, like, it works. Uh, I think the implication is that they fuck. Oh, what? no, they explicitly do because the ghosts are there uh, and the ghosts are like, hey, guys, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> check this out. They're fucking. Uh, and all the other ghosts are like, hey, Bro, don't be a fucking pervert. Uh, like one of the ghosts is like clearly peeping on them, and it's this movie is has a like a weirdly is weirdly horny in a fun way. I think that we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, bring back fun horny. Everything's like puritanical now. It drives me up the wall. It's either puritanical because a corporation needs it to be puritanical to sell in China, or it's puritanical because everyone thinks that everyone's experience is universal, and the teens are scared of seeing a titty for some reason. Like, make it fun horny again. Uh, you know, bring 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 that back for me. Um, I, I wonder, I this is, I'm going to diverge to talk about this because I, I wanted to bring it up in our talking points. But, like, there were, like, definitely, like, films that were for horny teen boys, like, up until, like, the early 2010s. Like, Transformers, that's all, you know, Megan Fox being sexy for, for young men. Um, I mean, all, all the fast movies do we this to some degree. We just watched the ones for horny teen girls. Right, right. Twilight, too, right? I wonder if, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is bringing this, the back to the to the Marvel era, right? Where Marvel movies are famously sexless. What um, is it? Everyone, everyone so is know. hot and no one is horny? Yeah, yeah. I wonder, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with our with our media. Things have been weird the last couple of years. Bring back uh, fun horny, please. Yeah, or the horniness that we see is like too serious. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's not it's it's not just like oh hey this person's sexy. It's like oh they're sexy, and I don't know if that has a meaningful difference on audio, but it I, it means something different in my heart, and that's the most important thing. <laughs> Great. Thanks, thanks for the opening clip to the show. Uh, so awesome <laughs> so um yeah Tristan uh in the morning gets up and he cuts off a little lock of Yvette's hair normal or hey fellas Yvette's hair. you know how I was giving great advice earlier here's another piece of great advice that women love uh is when you cut off their hair while they're sleeping ladies find that so charming if anybody does that to, to me ever I would stab them with the same scissors yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> so bro. Cuts off a lock of Evane's hair. Normal behavior. Uh, <laughs> and he wraps it up in a little hanky, and he goes downstairs, and uh, he tells the the sleepy uh, innkeep with the hookah, hey man, I'm gonna go tell Victoria that, if, if you think about the sentence from Tristan's perspective, it makes sense, but it's the stupidest, stupidest miscommunication I've seen on screen in a long time. Trist- it's real Tristan dumb. says... Tell her I've gone to see Victoria to tell her I've met my true love and I'm going to stay with her. Now, Tristan, could you have been clearer? Yes. But what the innkeep tells uh, Evane is that he's 
sorry, he's gone to see Victoria because he's fallen in love and he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. Which to Evane reads mm-hmm. as, fuck you, I'm going to see Victoria. Mm-hmm. Right. So Evane starts walking in kind of a trance towards Wall. And uh, meanwhile, Septimus, the prince, is still converging on her. Michelle Pfeiffer is converging on her. And uh, Tristan has just made it to Wall and has not yet realized uh, that shit's about to go down. And who sees all of this but Tristan's mom, Una, who was a bird in the caravan along with Mouse Tristan and Evane. So she knows who Evane is. She's seen her son. Now she's taken the fucking caravan and she's going for Wall. Because what Tristan realizes when he presents the lock of hair to Victoria is that it's turned to stardust. If Evane crosses the wall, she will turn into a rock and die. Before he can get to Which death, is bad. Yeah, death is bad. Mm-hmm. So before he can get to her, uh, his mom gets to her and stops her. But the problem is that so does Michelle Pfeiffer. And Michelle Pfeiffer takes both ah. the girls, takes into her evil manner, followed by Septimus. Then followed by Tristan, who meets the guard on his way out. <laughs> the guard is like, for years, I have been trying to keep you chuckle fucks out of there or, or in here. It turns out I should have been keeping what's out there away. Fuck this. I quit. You do whatever you want. <laughs> He's like carrying his chair. He's like, nah, nah, nah. I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm cashing in my pension. Goodbye. Uh, and you know what? Good for him. I would do the same in his shoes. Uh, So Tristan and Septimus team up to fight Michelle Pfeiffer in her evil cool, her very cool lair. I would fucking live there. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, Septimus gets his ass handed to him. Uh, Tristan then proceeds to fight uh, one of the sisters and wins. And uh, then he has to fight like puppeted Septimus's body. It's very cool. I like this. That's a cool fight. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know that voodoo dolls are a thing we should probably be using. I feel like there's some cultural appropriation stuff that maybe we should stay away from. But like, it is kind of cool that that that, that the concept of a dude being mar- a dead body being marionetted by another person is kind of fun. I like that, and the fight was very interesting because, like, you know, at this point, Tristan's a very good swordsman, but like, he's fighting a person who's dead and like doesn't have to use like regular angles, and it's very fun that he's just like you know fighting them and like also at this point septimus's ghost is there and he got drowned um so he got magically drowned so he's all wet <laughs> um, so he is hanging out with his dead ghost brothers just watching the fight just like cheering from the side looking at him like is that you and he's like no i'm still a ghost i'm sitting here i'm, I'm here dude <laughs> yeah. yeah tristan got taught sword fighting by robert de niro which we did fail i did fail to mention i won't blame you for this this is a, a me fuck up robert de niro uh his whole thing is that he likes to cross dress and he is pretending to be very tough for his pirates, and his pirates are pretending that they don't know he's gay. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just very good, because the entire time, his uh, second-in-command is, like, over <laughs> I wanted... So I, I didn't bring that up, because it was, like, yeah, like, everybody's, like, kind of aware that he, you know, is is somebody who, who dresses like that. Um, and, like, you know, it's, it's a very small part of this film. This movie did win a gay and lesbian um oh, a glad award ally- alliance against defamation award uh in 2008 I-, I assume for this well i'll say this the way this was presented is very very dated but like 
it's earnest in a way that like you know it, from the era it, i feel like it it, it, it make it comes across i do remember better. it kind of blew my gourd at the time where i was like oh that's a that's a man in a corset and it's it's like it's it's not played for laughs necessarily it's just kind of played like you said like in earnestness um i, I also like that at the end he he winks at uh henry cavill and henry cavill like blushes he's like no <laughs> it's good <laughs> Uh, like it, it aged, but for a 2007 film, right. it is it is quite earnest. Um, the the intent still lands in a way that I, I don't find you know mean or bad. Yeah, uh, if this is anyone's first episode, wee woo wee woo, I'm gay. Uh, so I'm not saying this is a straight person. I'm I'm queer. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so so Tristan continues to fight Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, you know she keeps hammering him with stuff. At one point, she kind of tricks them. Uh, and then, Evane, powered by love, is like, Tristan, hold me and close your eyes. And he's like, what? And she's like, what do stars do best? Shine. And then she glows so brightly that the power of her love literally explodes Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, now, uh, the seven brothers, they're all hanging out as ghosts. And they're like, fuck. There's no new king. We're stuck with each other forever. But surprise, we f- if, if you've forgotten, Una, the sister, the slave, Tristan's mother, Tristan is now the last male heir of the line. So when he picks up the ruby, it turns red. And that means he is now fucking king of Stormhold or whatever. So the epilogue is him and Yvain rule for 80 years. And then at the end of that 80 years, because uh, they live forever because she's given him her heart voluntarily. That's a fun contrivance that she can mm-hmm. give him her heart, um, but like not literally. Uh, they light the Babylon candle and go to the sky and now they're stars. Uh, and that's the end. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's nice. Yeah. I liked it. I still really like it. I think it holds up. I think so too, right? Like we we've seen a lot of movies from this era, um, and I I think this really does capture the like fun inventiveness of like adapting like a an old story or an old not an old story, but like you know a property that that was popular you know ten years prior um, into into a movie and like making some some different choices, but like generally kind of getting the spirit of it. Um, and making it look kind of a fun little romp. I mean, uh, the biggest touchstone, I think, is The Princess Bride. I think it's very similar to that kind of story. Oh, which is funny, because that's what um, was recommended to me on YouTube when I was watching it. Right, right. A very similar conceit, which is like, here's a story about some, like, you know, a, a boy and a girl on a magic hetero quest, uh, and they meet a bunch of weirdos along the way. Yeah, yeah. And, but charming weirdos, which is, which is my favorite kind of weirdo. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, do you, I, how where do you land? Did you like it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it completely nails what it's going for. Um, you know, and I think that's really all we can ask, right? I don't think it has v- grand pretensions. I don't think it's trying to be a huge epic. I don't think it's trying to impart a message. It is just a, a fun fantasy story, and it's you know, it. I like bring it. back the yes and mid-budget fantasy films because uh, i mean like we've had a lot of fun with this and you can kind of consider on the opposite end of the spectrum from this of the same era is uh one of our other favorite flicks van helsing 
Mm-hmm. Right. This this came out what four years after mm-hmm. Van Helsing, so Van Helsing was so four, so. <laughs> Yeah, bring back... Three years, yeah. Um, bring back the mid-budget fantasy flick. They're fun. I just... I don't know, like... I feel like I have this problem in my own creative writing, which is, like, I'm always trying to impart a message. Like, I'm always trying to be like, this is this is a story about kaiju, but it's also about the ways the Catholic Church takes people and turns them into their own monsters. Uh, that's not a joke. That's a, that's a book that I sent to my agent recently. Um, and, like... You know, I, I, I'm I happy that I wrote that book and I'm glad I'm trying to work those stories out. But like, that's a thing that I, I kind of run up against, which is like, I'm always trying to have a message in my fiction. Um, you know, I'm always trying to be like, oh, okay, this is what if Indiana was fantasy? You know, what if all the mastodons were still alive, but also the, the pharmaceutical industry that, that lobbies our, our nation or our state legislature? What if they were necromancers? And it's like... It's a little on the nose, bud. Um, and like, listen, I'm not, you know, apologizing for that. I did that very clearly on purpose because it's fun and it's something I like to do. But I, I think there is something to be said about like, not everything has to be an analog. Not everything has to just be like a, you know, a, a one-on-one, like, here's the moral of the story. Here's the message you're trying to impart. Um, I'm wondering if, if you have that impulse too in your own writing. I think so. I think, I think I went through this slog that I'm actually kind of, I feel consciously coming out of now where uh, I kind of fell into this weird cinema sins void where I'm like, everything has to make sense. Everything has to have a clear message. Everything has to like correlate and has to be driven and it has to like take a stance. And now I'm like, hmm, actually, I think maybe that was not the right impulse. And I guess I'm kind of glad that like my webcomic keeps getting pushed off because I think the stories I'm interested in telling are served better by vagueness uh, so I was, uh, ranting to Aaron, uh, dear audience, I was ranting to Aaron, uh, before we started, before we hit record on this call, I just saw Hadestown, uh, the touring production, which is the tour of the Broadway production, and I think one of the things it runs into is, like, too much specificity and trying to kind of beat your head with the message of, like, anti-capitalism and unity in the face of, like, evil billionaires or whatever, and you get that enough from the, like, background characters milling about in Orpheus and Eurydice's love story in the Off-Broadway. So in the Off-Broadway, what the story kind of boils down to is the earnestness of Orpheus's love is so potent that it then inspires action in Persephone and Hades and in the workers, whereas in the touring production... It is more that, like, Orpheus becomes kind of a labor rights activist. It's very odd. Um, But so, I think in instances like that, it's like, sometimes you are better off focusing on the moments and vibes of, like, endearing the characters you're trying to write for to your audience, and then letting the their plights kind of speak for themselves, and maybe just aiming for, like, one simple thing that you're trying to convey, but I think we're in an age where we're kind of getting stuck trying to find analogs and trying to find more direct um, messages to impart in our fiction, and I don't think that's an us problem, I just think we're in that kind of period. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's a place for that. I don't think it's a necessarily bad thing, but if you're out there and you're a creator, I also want to unshackle you and say that sometimes it's enough to have some dudes feeling some vibes. 
Yeah, yeah. And I also think like that's that is certainly a an impulse that comes from me being insecure as a writer and being like, oh, I have to have a big message. You know, this is a very adolescent impulse I I feel in in myself, which which is like, you know, all stories must, you know, be be big and important and be like about something. And and I think you're 100 percent right. Like we sometimes you just have to you know, tell a story that is just about the characters and it can be inspired by, you know, real life things, but like, it doesn't have to be so serious. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's for the best. Yeah, I think it's okay to just kind of, I think it's okay to just kind of vibe sometimes. Um, yeah, uh, I like to mention, sometimes I feel like the, the things that will actually resonate the most and will be the biggest and most important are the things that you approach with the most earnestness rather than the things you plot out the most carefully. So, food for thought. Indeed. Um, when we're not thinking about um, the ways in which media can can get a little bit more fun and horny, <laughs> um, where can we be found uh, on the internet, you can find Layla. Find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr. That's it. Uh, I'm just currently working a lot. Uh, if you're a games person, I'll see you at GDC in a couple of weeks. Uh, and if not, then you can enjoy my voice here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL and at my website at aavoit.com. I do uh, talk about tabletop RPGs, health policy, and writing. Um, I've got a YouTube channel that's aavoit uh, on YouTube. I do another podcast with my friends, Michael and Josh, that's at The Bible Boys on Twitter. Uh, we've been working through the History Channel, The Bible Series, which has been weird. Uh, we also just did an episode about, um, hmm, about the Battles BC episode uh, of Moses uh, and Exodus, which is a lot of just like, hey, you know Moses? He was a genocidal maniac, and it was awesome. <laughs> uh battles bc weird program not sure not sure why the history channel needed to do it but honestly i preferred it to fucking pawn stars so whatever um if that seems like your 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 cup of tea check us out um our theme song is obsolete by keshko from the album from the album filmmakers reference kit volume two you can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com layla uh you know how how do you think that we should end this podcast well, I can't say no, not after he's gone all the way to Ipswich. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.